Welcome to the ministry of Berean Bible Church in Louisville, Ohio, pastored by Ted Fellows and committed to preaching and teaching God's Word from a dispensational perspective. Most of the messages you will hear are recorded from our local church services. You can find out more about our ministry at www.bereansoflouisville.org. Thank you for listening. Take your body, as, as I said, open up to the book of Genesis chapter number 6. This is the, the 4th of July weekend, obviously, and uh, another reason why we want to kind of get going, because I think probably folks still have plans and activities uh, planned for family members and stuff. But um, I have been thinking about and, and looking at some things in our Sunday morning times together, thinking in terms of our culture and our, our nation and our society, where we are as a people, uh, as we interact, as we go out and interact with the world, as we're bombarded with news and uh, as the church, the body of Christ, is trying to navigate and, uh, and, and be relevant and be, be impactful in the culture and in our world, um, I've tried to take some things in God's word and give us some, some guidance and some perspective. And this morning I want to talk to you about nationalism about the principle of our nation, our nation's founding, and where those things come, and where those things are in the scripture. There is, um, there is a, there's a design and a purpose. And the Bible has a lot to say. Uh, there's, there's a great deal of discussion about our nation and our country today, about its founding, about its, uh, uh, its founders. And um, there, there's a real effort to erase a great deal of the, of the culture and the history and and um, the, the foundation. And so I want to try to give us some perspective from God's word about how to look at all of that. And the body of Christ is being sucked in to the, to the debate using the world's vocabulary and the world's perspective and trying to, trying to deal with the problems as the world sees it. And um, that's the wrong perspective. And then the, 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 the Bible is looked at through the prism of the world. I want to try to give us some perspective in God's word so that we can look through the world through the prism of, of God's word and then engage folks on that, on that level uh, because really the, the, the issue is the final authority and the truth of God's word. Last week we looked at the issue of reality. We, did, we call it the reality check. And there's a, there's a saying that goes around today that perception is reality. Um, and I understand what people mean by that because perception, the way you view things, is the way people look at reality. And there's an emphasis today on experience. Well, I experienced this, so this is my, my reality. And frankly, uh, perception is not reality. Perception is just your opinion. And your experience is not reality. Experience is just what you're going through. The only way you can really understand reality is through the prism of God's word. And God's word is the final authority. It's the prism by which we view life, view our experience, um, and form our perception, our understanding, based on divine viewpoint. And uh, that's where real peace comes. And that's the real need that our world has in, in whatever um, field, in whatever area that you're discussing and talking with folks in. Your perception you can have a bad perception about marriage. You know, maybe your marriage failed. Oh, I don't need that. It, did, it didn't work for me. Well, your, your experience and your perception 
is not the reality and the truth. Amen? Amen. There's nothing wrong with marriage. People fail at marriage. But if you view the institution of marriage through the lens of your experience, that's backwards. And you can never, unless you properly identify the problems and the issues, you can never address and find the solution. And today, because of a misdiagnosis of, of the world's problems, they never really get to the, to the heart of what the issue is in our world. So I want to look at some things about nationalism heading towards the next couple of weeks, looking at the issue of our gospel. We have a tailor-made gospel for the Gentile world. Our gospel, not a hybrid message, not a mixture or a blending together of Israel's program with, with what, what, what has become Christianity, that doesn't work. That doesn't meet the need of the human heart. That's not what God has called us to preach and proclaim. So, but but as, we, as we step back, how do we look at what is God's perspective about nations, about nationalism? And then how can we look at our country, its founding and, uh, and, and looking back, but look at where we are now, and then look to the future going forward. So I trust that will be a blessing to us. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that as we consider these things that it would be helpful to us and give us perspective and give us confidence to, uh, to go about and, and be your ambassadors in the year 2020 vision and have 2020 vision with your perspective as we represent you to the world. And we thank you for that privilege. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, when we talk about nationalism, we really have to go back to the book of Genesis. And we did some things about this years ago, years ago, 2016, with all the turmoil of the, of the previous election. These will be things that will be relevant to us today also, uh, not just in the current election cycle, but, but in, uh, in, in, in life in general. So as you go back to the book of Genesis, um, nationalism is something that was instituted by God himself with a purpose and with a design for nations and how nations should function. And we, we see that set up in Genesis 9 and 10 and 11, and then we see a model nation established, the nation of Israel, his nation, that winds up being a, a, a model to the, and, and a light to the rest of the world. Um, in Genesis, the first five, four or five chapters, we see creation, don't we? And everything that God made was very good. <laughs> and uh, then he creates Adam and Eve. And the, there's four divine institutions that God puts in place for the human, for humanity and the human race. The first is volition. We need to remember that each and every individual is responsible for themselves. Responsible for their own choices, their own decisions, and their own actions, and they're free to choose, free to choose God's design or the way which seems right unto a man, which is the end thereof are the ways of death. Personal volition, personal responsibility, first. Then God establishes marriage. Marriage is, a, is one man and one woman for one lifetime. And that is established. And right close to that is the issue of family. Because the home is the, is the building block for a society. Marriage is the building block and the foundation for the home. And home and marriage is the foundation for society and for civilization to then develop. 
And so when you get to Genesis chapter 4, you see now those three things begin to, begin to um, develop in society and in civilization. Of course, we know what happened in Genesis chapter 3, that everything that God created was very good, and then sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and a fallen creation, and fallen nature, and, and fallen man began to function here on the earth. But those, four, those, those three institutions begin to function in the book of Genesis, right down through chapter, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5, and then you come to 6, and Noah and the flood. And by the time you get to Noah and the flood, you've had about 1,500 or 1,600 years of humanity in a fallen creation, in a fallen world. And you get, get to Genesis chapter number 6 before the flood, and you know the story of the flood. God wants to start over. In Genesis 6, 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. You drop down to verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Okay, here's the record of a fallen man in a fallen world for 1,500, 1,600 years. God says it's such a mess, I'm going to wipe everybody out except for Noah and his family and start over. There is another institution that is necessary to deal with the wickedness of man's heart. The evilness of man's heart. Because without this fourth institution, you're just going to start the whole process back up again and you're going to have chaos and violence and man is going to do things to, to each other that is uh, self-defeating. But before we get to that, there's, there's a little nugget here in Genesis chapter 6 I want to point out to you. Look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in, notice it, his generations. Noah was a man of his time. He stood above those in his time, in his generations. Now there's a lot of other things going on with the, the attempted corruption of the seed line and all the rest, but, but there was a point made that I, I heard from this verse recently that, that just struck me. When you evaluate historical figures, evaluate them in their generations. Look at them at the time when they lived as in relationship to everybody else. There's an attempt today to look back at our founding as a nation and view those founders through the prism of 20th century secular culture. And because of the values of some in 2020, they look back two or three hundred years at our founders and condemn them because their lifestyle or, or the, the, the context and their generation at that time doesn't match the social norm today. You follow what I'm saying? If you want to evaluate Noah, evaluate him in his generation. For example, not in Moses. If you took Moses' generation and the law, Noah would come up short. But it would be unfair to judge Noah in light of a future generation and a, and a future condition. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and that's a, that's a help for, help for, helpful perspective. It doesn't answer or excuse things. It just gives you a prism or a lens. And I thought that was, that was very enlightening. When we look back at our history and our founding, 
there's a lot of things that were different in the world in you know, the 1400s and 1500s and 1600s and 1700s as compared to today. So view those men back in their generations and uh, as we would do the same for Noah here. So anyway, you, you know the story what happens as, as the flood occurs, you get on the other side, Genesis 6, 7, and 8, God starts over. And he starts over and he begins to institute another institution, another principle to manage the evil and the wickedness of man and his human heart and society. And that principle is the subject of the rule of law and nationalism. Genesis 9 verse 5, he says, Surely your blood will, of your lives will I require at the hand of, of every beast will I require it at the hand of, of man, um, well, of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Here is the beginning of the foundation of human government and human law and human intervention in the affairs of mankind. And it's the, it's, it's the beginning of what Paul calls in Romans 13, the powers that be are ordained of God. They are God's ministers, a revenger to execute wrath on him that doeth evil and to reward the good and so on. We see this principle begin to be established here in Genesis chapter number, chapter number 9. And you go through the rest of Genesis chapter 9 here. And uh, after the flood, verse, 18, uh, verse 17. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah went forth from the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. So now God starts over with the with the sons of Noah, with this added principle that as Noah and his sons begin to, to repopulate the earth, this concept of, of, of man policing and executing judgment is, and that would be communicated to the sons. Here's some extra, some, some new light from God's word, in addition to the opportunity to um, enjoy, you know, not just vegetation, but, um, but, but the, the dietary laws and so on. So those would be communicated. So you, you see civilization begin to restart with this added principle of human government. Then you get into Genesis 10 and 11. By the way, you see Noah, a just man, here in uh, Genesis 9, uh, having some problems. And so um, you, you see that this new system the reality is it's going to be administered by flawed men, <laughs> by sinful man. So the system is set up by God, but the, the, the ones in charge of it are still flawed men. That is a, that is a consistent principle all down, through, uh, all down through history. So things begin to multiply here. In Genesis chapter 10, we see the genealogies of the three boys here. And Genesis 10 and 11... Are, are, are kind of overlapping and they cover the same two or three hundred year period when things begin to multiply and man begins to, to the, the families but there's another problem that arises and, uh, and, and there's another judgment that God institutes here with the Tower of Babel. It occurs about a hundred years after the flood in the days of Peleg. Genesis 10 verse 25. 
Unto Eber were born two sons, and the name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. You run all the, the, the genealogies and you, and you kind of connect all the dots as these things go. This event here when the earth was divided takes place, it coincides with the Tower of Babel. And um, we studied these things as we went back through Genesis here some time back. It's just fascinating to watch how all this plays out. And um, what happens is man, God, God commissioned him to fill the earth and man stays in one place. And it's at the Tower of Babel, we understand, it's stated real clearly, that's, at, that's when God scattered with the tongues issue of, of the languages. They couldn't communicate, so they began to disperse. It's also at that same time that I believe God separated the continents. Because there's, there, there's real clear here about, about the language that the earth was divided. And so God begins to split them up, the, the families, by, by nationalities, by, by tongues and languages and dialogues. And if God created the verbal difference within men to all of a sudden wake up one day and there was an internal difference about the, the language they spoke and communicated, I believe this is also when it took place that God created the different races, the different ethnic characteristics and so on to further separate man for a, for a divine purpose and for intent. And hold your hand here and I want to get one quick verse. Go to, go to Acts chapter 17. God splits them up and scatters them by design. Acts chapter 17 and verse 25. And 20, well, make it 26 for the sake of time. This is Paul's commentary on these events and at these times. As he's preaching to the, the, the educated uh, in Athens there. Verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. One blood. Whose blood did it start with? It started with Adam's, Right? We all, we all are descendants from Adam. That word nations there in the Greek is the word ethnos. It's ethnicity. Um, God created the nations. He scattered them. Deuteronomy 32 talks about that. Where he divided the, the sons of Adam according to the number of the children of Israel. Same idea. Where God created these the verbal difference. He created the ethnic differences. And he also created geographical differences. He scattered mankind, because man wouldn't do it on his own. In, in, in disobedience, he, they stayed in one place, established one religion. It says, He had made of one blood all nations of the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. There's the geographic. There's the dividing of the earth and in, into lands and boundaries. That, here's the purpose. Why did God split up, create these ethnic and uh, ling uh, linguistics and geographic differences that they should seek the Lord? If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God determined that it, the more man stays in one place, the harder it is because of the nature of man <laughs> for him to Police himself. If I scatter them out and, and thin out the landscape, they'll be better able to search and find me. <laughs> okay? 
And God at this time is, has a witness of creation, and he has, he has things in place as a witness to the human race. Go back to Genesis now. So all these things happen. God does this by design. And in Genesis chapter 10, he splits man up, and he begins to form nations. And there's four elements to that. <clears throat> if you look at Genesis 10, the, uh, verse 5, these are the sons of Japheth. By these were the isles. See the, see, see the geographic boundaries there? The isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. Everyone after, his, after their tongue, there's the language. After their families, there's the, genera, the, the, the genealogies. And their nations, the ethnos, the, the national things. You have the sons of Japheth, verse 20. These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Verse 31, and these are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their, um, after their tongues, at, in their lands, after their nations. Verse 32, these are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations. By these were the nations divided, in the earth after the flood. There are four elements to national identity. There is family and heritage and generations, a common family source, tongues, there's the language and the dialect. There are land boundaries, sovereign areas and locations that these groups would establish. And then there's nations, there's ethnicity. There's the, the, the characteristics and the, 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 the physical makeup and the, the, the multiple. These are all divine by, and designed by God and, and created by God, and God scatters them around. And so you see these things happen around the time of the Tower of Babel. God established nations with identity and characteristics and culture and history. Why? That they might seek the Lord. Well, you have another 150, 200 years and things still don't go very well. So we have Romans chapter 1, where God gave up the nations. He says they don't like to retain God in their knowledge. They're, they're rejecting the, the witness of creation. They, they've corrupted and they've, they've polluted the, the, the knowledge of God. They've tamed the truth of God and turned it into a lie. So God gave them up. And then he establishes his own nation as a model to the world of what nationalism should be. And the nation of Israel has those same four characteristics. They have family and heritage and generations. They have tongues and languages. They have land boundaries and a sovereign, uh, a sovereign territory that's theirs. And they have an ethnicity to them. And the nation of Israel is, was God's model nation of how, how nations should function. Now. Before we, before we look at Israel, go to Genesis chapter 14. Because there's an, there's, a, there's an interesting perspective here that we see begin to develop. While Abraham is doing his thing and, and he, he's getting ready to have Isaac and, and then Isaac is going to have Jacob, there's some light here about how the world continues to progress. And you, you see a window into national life of the Gentiles. Genesis 14, and it came to pass in the days of Aphrael, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of e 
El Alassar and Chedomomer, <laughs> king of those four guys there, title, I should have just skipped over all of that. I didn't practice that at the beginning. But you get the idea. King of the nations. Verse 2, that these made what? War. With Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and these other kings. All, you know what you see in the Gentile world? You see war. You see strife. You see, you, you see battles. And notice the words down to verse 7. They returned and came to whatever that place was, which is whatever that place, Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites. Verse 11, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 12, and they took Lot. Verse 15, and he divided himself against them uh, and his servants by night and smote them. Verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after the return of, from the slaughter of that guy. See, I, I learned my lesson. <laughs> Try not to pronounce it. You see the conflict? See the struggle? Man is still evil, isn't he? And the, the history of the Gentile nations is messy. Because man is still evil, isn't he? And out there in the Gentile world, there's this battle, there's this bloodshed, there's this selfishness, there is taking and plundering and slaughter in the Gentile world. Remember that. <laughs> because that's the natural condition of nations. Because man is still wicked and man is still evil. And as this process goes, as, as the Gentiles go on in their own way, Romans 1 gives us the, con the context. They're filled with all of those, those wickedness and evil. They know God because God has revealed himself in, their, in, in the creation. They know God in their conscience. Then Romans 1 says they're no, they know the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. And in their conscience they show the work of the law accusing and excusing one another. You know, they, so so man goes on in his own way, but God has raised up his nation the nation of Israel. What about his own nation? Back to Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make thee a great, what? Nation. You're going to have a land, you've got a culture, you've got family, you've got your own, your own dialect, your own language. You see these same elements in God's nation. And that nation begins to form. Go to Exodus chapter number 12. And, and you, you have this national entity created and the element of human government. Man policing himself with the rule of law and justice. And we see in God's nation, he establishes something. Genesis, or Exodus chapter 12, verse 48. As Israel begins their national journey, as they begin to go out and, and they're, they're going to they're make their, their pilgrimage to the land, Genesis or Exodus chapter 12 and verse 48, um, they're, they're, they're given some things about the law and the ordinances and so on. Verse 48, and when the stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. There's the religious identity. And then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. 
and for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Here's the stranger. Identifies and embraces the religious identity of Israel as he comes and joins. Verse 49, one law shall be to him that is homeborn, there's the naturalized citizen, and to the stranger that sojourns among you. Now we think about the law and the commandments and so on, the Mosaic law. We always think about that in a spiritual sense, don't we? And their spiritual life and the worships and the sacrifices and so on. But the law was a, was a, was a whole body of truth that gave Israel a religion, gave Israel a relationship to God, but it had social things incorporated into it. Social things. How to settle disputes when disputes arise. How to, how to function with property and, 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 and a boundary and, and all, of these, all of these. There's a framework for this national identity. My point in this is that that national function and policing of itself within the boundaries of, of its individual nation requires the rule of law. One standard that the whole nation agrees to. We come together and we realize that we can't just have everyone have their own way. There has to be a way of settling disputes. I have to be a, 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 a way to punish evil, deter evil, and, and, and support. You know why you do that? So the first three entities, the individual can pursue his, own, his or her own life. They can have a family, establish a home, and produce, children, produce the next generation <laughs> that will preserve the culture. And that next generation, we know, in, in, in Israel's case, what are they supposed to do? They're to take that law, write it on the doorposts, they're to speak of it when they, when they rise up and when they sit down and when they go to bed. And what that does is the home and the family perpetuates the culture, perpetuates the rule of law and the understanding and the identity within the boundaries of the family, within that, that framework, that national land sovereign area that they have, with their own language and their own tongue. And nations are set up to function that way. And they do. And so you see that the, God's nation functions there. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number, um, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses starts to administer the affairs of Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 1, <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's a flashback. Some things happen before they get the law. Moses starts judging the people, starts settling all the difference, and Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to him and says, Hey, Moses, this thing you're doing is not good. You're just going to wear yourself out if you're trying to settle all these things. So what Jethro says, Hey, take and select out of Israel some people to help you. <laughs> Judge the small matters. And so he says, Okay, we'll take able men that are men of truth and hating covetousness, from among the nations and we'll set them up and we'll sprinkle them throughout the throughout the population according to all their tribes to manage the affairs of the nation. Isn't that beautiful? And so this, this thing begins to evolve and God sets it up. Deuteronomy chapter number 1 verse 13 Moses is looking back on that event as this next generation is getting ready to go into the land and really set up shop and go. 
verse 13. Um, verse 12, verse 12. How can I myself bear your burdens, bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? <laughs> See that? The natural, what's the natural element in human existence? Strife and burden and debate and argument. Verse 13. Take you wise men. So they, they, there's some character matters. Understanding and Notice it, known among your tribes. Men that are already recognized by the people and respected by the people that you will select out and give charge to manage these affairs. They set up a representative. <laughs> they set up representatives that are sprinkled throughout the nation of Israel. And you answered me in verse 14, and said, the thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. The consent of the governed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this makes sense to us. We don't want to always go where you are, Moses. We'd rather go locally and have our things settled. <laughs> it's good. Verse 15, so I took chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads and over you, and captains over thousands, and captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over ten, and officers among your tribes. This is sprinkled throughout the land of Israel. You've got about two million people here at this point in time. As Israel is, is the, the second generation is getting ready, and they're going to multiply um, when they go into the land. But you see how he's setting up a structure to manage human evil and sin. There's a common standard. There's a rule of law. Everybody agrees to it. And it's going to settle dispute. My, my point, I'm getting, getting to you here. Uh, well, verse 16. And I charged your, your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren. And judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. See, they've got the law. They've got some of those things spelled out. But there's judgment calls that need to make, be made. <laughs> but see, see, you see the structure there. Um, between every man and his brother, there's the naturalized citizen and the stranger that is with him. See how immigration... <laughs> The door is open for other nations to come in. But what's the principle? The, sprint, the principle is assimilation. They come in and they embrace the culture. They embrace the religion. When in Rome, do as the <laughs> Romans do. It's, it's a, a very interesting thing to travel abroad, if any of you have ever had a chance to do it, how you go into different cultures and different worlds. And when you're the, you, there, you, you, tr you try to do as the, <laughs> as the, as the citizenry. Because you want to you blend in. You want to identify with them. You know, as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, you know, you don't want to take on the corruption of the nation and the culture, but you want to identify with it, don't you? You want to be, you want to, you, you want to be able to function within it, but not be contaminated by it. See? That's an interesting principle there. Um, Verse 17, ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You know what you see there? You see equality 
under the law. The law is blind for the small, the small and the great, for the citizen and the stranger. One law for everybody. It's all agreed to. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. You have a supreme court. <laughs> you have a higher place where hard causes can go to be decided. I said, you see some things? You see the point I'm trying to make here? All of this... Israel is still made up of sons of Adam, aren't they? You have a fallen nation. You have fallen men, flawed men, that are, that are administrating these things. But you know what you have? You have one law. You have divine law. You have divine viewpoint and perspective that is going to be the general way that you administer and you dis discern these things. And it's the character of the men that matter and you have the consent of the government, governed. Verse 18, and I commanded you at that time all the things which ye should do. There's the law. There's the rule of law. You see where I'm going with this? That national identities are made up of, of culture and family. It's made up of language and dialect. It's made up of ethnicity. And it's made up of sovereign boundaries. Because it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nasty world out there. But it's a messy process. <laughs> because man is still fallen. And as Israel begins to function and go You know what they're going to do? You're here in Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 4. Deuteronomy chapter number 4. Verse 5 and 6 and 7. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments. Even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it, keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of who? The nations. You've got this law that I've taught you that, it, that, that governs your, your, your functioning in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes, the rule of law, and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is, is in all things that we call upon him for? God raises up his nation to do what? He's given up the Gentiles, right? He let them go. But he's raising up a testimony, a nation, to be a light to the rest of the world based on the rule of law, based on the principle, based on their identity. And he set up that nation, gave them the law, they're to teach their children and perpetuate the, the generations. Go to your Deuteronomy chapter 4. And here's the, the, the last thing that I want to, I want to give you here. Um, verse 37. Deuteronomy 4 verse 37. And because he loved thy fathers, see there's their generations, their heritage, Therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power. God did something in the midst of this. He didn't just raise up Israel and say, go and take everything because I'm with you and I'm the, I'm the most powerful God in the universe. He wasn't just a bully going and conquering the nations. God did something. 
He showed His power. He, he had a testimony to the rest of the world of who He was. And He did it by bringing the, the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt, to its knees and crushed them and brought His, his nation out with mighty power and, 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 a, and a testimony. He gave a witness to the nations. They already had the witness of conscience, but He had a light established to the rest of the world. And then he says, to drive out the nations from before thee, greater and mightier than thou art, to bring thee in, to give them their land. They're going to go take some possession. And it's a bloody process, and it's a messy process. And uh, he says, you've got to dispossess the nations of the land. Take possession. And before we forget, these are not just nice people minding their own business. You go in Leviticus and these, these Gentile nations are wicked and evil. They've got all these abominations. They're, they've corrupted sex and they've, they've got child sacrifice and they've got wicked abominations and all of this evil. So that he says, the land vomiteth out its inhabitants. <laughs> They're wicked, evil. But why is God doing this? To raise up a light to the rest of the world here. And it's going to be a messy process for Israel to do it. And God doesn't set up a theocracy with a king initially. He sets up Israel to be governed by the priests. And the religious life and the moral life in the law, he doesn't set up a king, a theocracy. Israel wants that later, don't they? <laughs> They want a king so they can be like the other nations. God says, that's not a good idea. You give, here's what the king's going to do. He's going to be a taker. He's going to take stuff for himself. He's going to take women for himself and horses for himself. He's going to take 10% of your, of your, you know. He sets up a representative government led by the spiritual life in the nation, not a theocracy. And uh, you see where I'm kind of going with this? These are principles in God's nation, now we're not going to be, we're not going to say the United States is Israel. But I'm saying this is, this is God's design for national life as they, as they manage human evil and they preserve the life of the individual, the family, and the home. National identity, nationalism is necessary. And it's biblical. And it's based on the rule of law and being able to settle disputes. And time is gone, and as I wanted to apply it to our, maybe I'll do some of that next week. But I, um, it's it's interesting. If you don't have the rule of law, you imagine playing football without boundaries on the football field, without rules agreed by both teams to begin to play the game. To have a clock that would run out, you know, that would stretch the, the time, the amount of time you could spend in the huddle, and enough amount of time to get the playoff. Imagine not having officials to settle the, debut, the disputes and the arguments. And when you have officials, those of you that do sports, you know, the, the ref makes the call, guess what? Somebody ain't happy. <laughs> right? Uh, most of the time. But if you don't have officials, if you don't have a set of rules and boundaries, what, do you, what would you have? You'd have total chaos. You need structure and you need order to play the game. 
Imagine not having rules of the road and going out with two and three and four ton automobiles, maybe five or six ton if you're driving a big, big four-wheel drive truck, <laughs> and people just doing every without having rules of the road and structure. What do you, you need that to have safety and order and function. My point is nationalism is vitally important, and the rule of law is vitally important. You don't have time to, but, but when our country was founded, it was, found, it was a bloody process. It was a messy process, wasn't it? Because flawed men were establishing it. And they went out and they took some territory. And they affected some people that were already here. And we don't have to, we don't have to rewrite history. We don't have to erase history. History is your story. And you can learn and you can, you can observe and, and see what happened and learn from it. And the big thing is, where are you today? Today, the, the, the founding of our country, because it was based in biblical principles, and those founders didn't have all of the social perspective that we have today, but they were, they were righteous in their generations, and in the founding documents of our country was the acknowledgement of who? Every man is, is endowed by his creator with certain inalienable rights. And in the founding of our country were some of the principles that allowed us to address the flaws down through history and solve some of those problems and some of those, some of those evils. And it's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing how, how all those things play out. But it was a messy process. <laughs> and yet, the, you, you don't judge those men in our day, you judge them in, in their day and you had the rule of law, and you had it based in biblical truth and biblical principles. You had it based in divine wisdom. And what is the result where we are today? We have a, we had, we have a light that was raised up in two, 250 short years that has brought more blessing and power and light and good to the world and abundance. But we see all those things eroding, don't we? Because we're getting further and further and further away from the creator, his design for the individual and personal responsibility and the home and family and nationalism is being broke down. God's design is nationalism. So if God's design is nationalism, individual nations, what do you think Satan is going to do? His design to thwart God's design is going to be internationalism. And we see the, the, the battle for a national identity that seeks to tear down everything that was built. You know, we, we, we can recognize that there are flaws and, and blemishes in the country and in the men that founded it. But that doesn't help us where we are now. If we're going to tear it all down and start over, you're still going to have fallen men, aren't you, administrating it. And I guarantee you the people that are trying to reestablish a new cultural identity aren't going to use the Bible to do it. Nationalism is worth fighting for. It's worth standing for. Our country is worth standing. It's biblical. But, but, but beloved, 
political and national identity still doesn't solve the human heart. You know that? It doesn't meet, you can straighten out people's politics. I don't care if you're liberal, conservative, libertarian, red team, blue team, or somebody in between. Those are issues that, that you put your citizen hat on and they're worth discussing. But you can straighten out somebody's politics and you still don't meet, meet the need of the human heart. There's something more that needs to go on. This, that, that cultural civilization battle is worth fighting for, but there's something else that's worth fighting for even more than that. And it's the truth of the gospel that meets the need of the human heart and has met the need of the human heart for 2,000 years in multiple cultures, multiple countries and ethnicities. It's called the gospel of the uncircumcision. The gospel of the grace of God. And that is the issue that we need to press as we stand as citizens, as we vote, as we stand for right and wrong. You follow what I'm saying? We, we got to be careful that we don't get caught up in the culture war and miss the spiritual battle that we've really been called to fight as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. So there, there's a lot more that we, that we could have said and we can, we can study. But how do, we, how do we look at our country? We look at it through the lens of God's design for nationalism. And the ugliness and the messiness is not something that we need to run from. It's not something that we need to tear down and erase. It's something that we need to preserve and learn from. And we got people today that aren't willing to learn from it. They just want to tear it down and put something else in its place. And, and frankly, they're not, what they want to replace it with is, is a far cry from what, it's, from, what, from what this says. And you still got fallen men run from it. You know, so the rule of law, finish with this, go to, go to 1 Timothy. I, I was going to make the point here with the verse. The law is important, and I apologize, but let me just finish the verse. Finish with this point. 1 Timothy, two, or 1 Timothy 1, he says, Know this, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous man. Does the law be, belong in the church house today in the dispensation of grace? No. It's been blotted out and taken out. It's not for the righteous man, but it is for who? The lawless. You know what lawless people need? Unrighteous? They need the law. <laughs> they need the rule of law. Society needs the rule of law to preserve the culture, to preserve volition, family, and marriage so that the testament, so men can seek the Lord. <laughs> and so you see that there. And you see that list there? The lawless need law. The issue of the rule of law and national identity is critical to the maintaining of order and the functioning of God's truth going forth. Amen? And so there's the, there's the principle. That's my little soapbox. As we think about nationalism and the identity of our country and our history, it's a wonderful thing, but it's messy because fallen men were administrating it. But at the, at the foundation of it all, see all that stuff took place in, in cooperation in, 
with the Protestant Reformation. You ever think about the spiritual history? Columbus sailing the ocean blue in 1492 and the pilgrims in 1620. All of that stuff is taking place at the backdrop of spiritual revival. And the men that came here and founded this country, founded the new world, the messy process, they bought a brand new Bible with them. <laughs> a Bible that would transform the world. And a new nation. And they came here for religious freedom. And uh, that's of great value too. But the, the issue we need is the, is the gospel of the grace of God today for the individual and the, the need of the human heart. Amen? So uh, I hope this is helpful to you. It's, um, it's been helpful to me to kind of put things in perspective. When you debate people, sometimes you have to go through the issues of the culture and so on, or when you're talking to Christian people. But the real issue is God's word being the thing to evaluate national life, personal life, personal responsibility, the function of the individual, the family, and the home, and the nation. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the folks and their patience. I thank you for life together in our local church family. In these uncertain days, Lord, we thank you for the United States of America and uh, the, the, the flaws and the, the things in our, in our past are, are things to learn from because they're measuring sticks to see where we've come. We thank you for the divine principle and the wisdom of our founders that put in place truth that allowed us to refine and profit and, and move forward in moral and social and cultural issues. And, uh, and we just thank you so very much for that, Lord. May we be grateful that we are Americans. May we, may we embrace patriotism and, and love of country. But most, most of all, Lord, may we recognize the spiritual need to embrace you and to live in light of your word and your truth and to share that in our dark world because that's what the human heart needs. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.